0: Welcome to the Disrupt Your Career podcast, brought to you by Claire Harbour
1: and Antoine Thirard. We're passionate about helping everyone find fulfillment in their work life.
0: We believe that big, messy, uncharted career changes are inevitable, and it's up to you to decide.
1: Will you take control and disrupt, or allow yourself to be disrupted?
0: We wrote the book about it. And now we share here our conversations with other thinkers in this crucial area.
1: Settle down and get ready to listen to this dose of wisdom.
0: This time on the Disrupt Your Career podcast, I'm extremely happy to be welcoming Jack and Patty Phillips. With a combined 50 years of experience in measuring and evaluating training, human resources, technology and quality programs and initiatives. These founders are the leading experts in return on investment, ROI. Jack, Patti, welcome. Thank you. All right, let's get straight into this. Let's start with your career journeys. You've both had amazingly rich careers as consultants, researchers, authors, teachers, coaches, founders, owners of the ROI Institute. Why don't you share with us a little bit about how these extraordinary careers have unfolded? especially thinking about whether it was by design or serendipity, and if you can highlight some of the top experiences for you.
1: I'd get started with it, and Patty can add to that. That last part is interesting because what we wound up finally in our career is not what we actually planned, and that's probably 95% of the rest of the world. Indeed. (laughs) But logically, so many of the things we do fit right into the ultimate. I'm an engineer beginning, of uh, engineering degree, science degrees, physics, math, and started off in that kind of area, but migrated to training in a large organization called Lockheed, Lockheed Martin now. And uh, in the training function, began to train engineers and computer professionals and others. And the other way I had a, a, an opportunity to manage a group of co-op students who were alternating work in school. And they spent half the time in school, half the time at work. They were engineering students, and I had 350 of them. And we paid for their salaries, of course, a good salary, and I charged all of this cost to the chief engineer. And the chief engineer asked me one day, he says, so, Jack, you got a pretty big charge that you send me every month. Could you mind telling me, showing me, the value of this program? Show me what's the actual ROI that we're getting out of this and says, could you do this? I'd never been asked that question, of course. And I was working on a master's degree in statistics at the time, and I needed a thesis topic. (laughs) And so I took that on as a challenge to do both things. And so we actually showed the value of that to the company. It was amazing, all the way down to ROI. And they were so impressed with it. They kept the program because he was thinking about cutting that program at that time. Didn't tell me that, but we knew that was his motive. But also I got great support and partnership there with an the engineering team that I needed in my later work as a chief of technology training for the engineering group. And then and even on to management training and other kinds of training. So that was the spark in the beginning of what we do now. And so we kept working on this, refining this. And I moved up the career chain ahead of learning, ahead of HR and moved to some different organizations and wound up my career in business as a president of a banking system. But along the way, we kept refining this process. 1983, we wrote the first book on training evaluation in the USA, called Handbook of Training Evaluation and Measurement Methods. Then we started moving this into other areas of HR, technology, quality, even marketing. And we wrote books around that. And so the 1990s, This is when Patty began to join the team and work with us to bring this globally. And so fast forward, we've got almost 100 books that we've written and we serve 70 countries through 45 uh, partners, I should say. Our books are in 38 languages. We do coaching. We do teaching of this methodology and we actually do the ROI studies ourselves. And so we finally wrote, a book that puts it all together in a simple way, void of a lot of math, void of a lot of calculations. Only 150 pages with a lot of stories, and that's our new book called "Show the Value of What You Do." So, Patty, why don't you add to that?
2: My land here is more serendipitously right. It's um, I grew up in a home where there was an expectation that we accomplished a lot. So, the question wasn't, what did you do today? The question of the household was, what did you accomplish today? So, it was about accomplishments and results. And I remember, you know, even my dad saying, I don't care. Don't tell me what you did. Tell me what you accomplished. It's like, all right. So, I mean, I kind of grew up with the ROI mindset. And then through my corporate career, I had a lot of opportunities to think like, looking at accomplishments and how things paid off. I was caught up in the quality movement when that was a thing I worked in, kind of managed that for our department. And then um, one of my last jobs in the company, I had a team of uh, market planners and researchers and the folks who did the customer research. So research was part of what we did. Um, so I really liked research. And then in grad school, got very involved with statistics and doing some projects. And my first impact study prior to ever even uh, meeting Jack, was demonstrating the impact of junior achievement. So I remember in grad school, we really wanted to know, was that paying off in some way for the kids that were involved in junior achievement? I don't know if you know junior achievement. A little explanation for those who might not understand. Right. So junior achievement is a program that is for, you know, kids to help them understand business. And so we would build things, create things. You bought kits. I think our team built Lanner. But you learn about business through junior achievement as well as other things. And so we wanted to just understand, was it contributing at all to them, to their awareness of business? Did it help them in school? Did it help them connect with other students? So there were a lot of benefits to it. So that was my first impact study. And I really liked that type of work. And then I had a professor there who engaged me with his stats class and taught lab and stats and all. But I met Jack in the 90s. And when I first met him, I had come off a corporate career and um, a colleague, a mutual colleague introduced us. And so I got to know Jack and this work that he'd been doing and he gave me a stack of his early books. And I started reading one of the books. And I thought, God, this is amazing. It's cost-benefit analysis, which is what we've done. It's good research methodology, which what we had been doing. But it was done in a context that was new and different to me. I'd never thought about demonstrating the impact and the return on investment in people-type programs. So leadership development and coaching. It just wasn't done at the company where I work. And so totally jumped in both feet love the process, love working with the customers is the type of work I enjoy doing. And then Jack and I became one. And so I always like to say his process became my process. So his company became my company. And that's where we are today. So we've been together about 25 years. And it's just been an extraordinary journey.
0: What a great story. There are some absolutely astonishing numbers in there um, in terms of books and languages and people. But let's turn to Something else. Let's think about a lot of the focus of your work is around measuring value and return of investment. You've said that that's been applied to many different sorts of areas and a very special focus on the softer, non capital dimension of business and organization. Since our primary focus is career and talent management, we're really interested to know how you would apply this approach to these areas. And particularly, for example, how would you define success or value in a person's career? And how would the methodology apply to career and talent management?
2: So again, a great question. And this is an area in which we work probably the most is so in terms of the question of what is the value or success of a person's career, what we look at is the investment in that career. So the value of investing in a career. So is that professional development. Is the experiences someone is involved in and is it paying off for them? So progress in a career can be any number of things. It could be, you know, promotion. So increase in salary, it could be mobility from a lateral standpoint, giving them more experiences so is looking at that I and mean, we can think of you know some of our clients in the past who on their own began to demonstrate the value of their work as individual contributors and because of their work they progressed in the company to own the function or own the department and they could clearly connect it with that ROI mindset that they had, that they were delivering value. So we look at the return on the investment in career development or the return on investment in talent management. So what are the initiatives in which we're investing to do that job or to accomplish those goals?
1: See, here's the success levels that we have in our system. One is how people are reacting to what you're doing. Second is what they're learning from you or what people involved in your project or activity, what they learn. And then it's what people do with what they've learned. And that's our level three. So it's one, two, three, reaction, learning, application. Level four is impact. And level five is the ROI. Is it worth it? If you're setting a a goal for career uh, accomplishment, and maybe that's promotion to a particular job, and you embark on a career development plan, well, you know, first you've got your own reaction to that. And what that's level one, what will I have to do know how to do and actually do, that's a learning. And then what actions am I taking? That's level three. And then ultimately impact as I get that promotion. And then we look at the ROI. Is it look at all I, the time I spent on this and the other costs to get there and versus the reward for getting that monetary value of that promotion. And that's the ROI. ROI is, is it worth it? So career a development, career enhancement is a good application of this. In fact, one of the audiences we have for our new book is career counselors who are helping others who maybe are stuck or blocked. And so how do you get out of that? you got to show the value of what you do in ways that people understand and appreciate. And that's usually gets us to impact level.
0: Okay, great. Well, let's talk very briefly about your book. I mean, your book, a ridiculous thing to say when you've written hundreds, but the book called Show the Value of What You Do, which is a recent publication. You've mentioned that it's relatively short, that it's succinct, that it's trying to tell the story simply. But what motivated you to write this book rather than any of the others? And what needs are you trying to address specifically?
1: If you think about the concept of ROI in many people's mind, it's it's, it's through thinking of that's a finance and accounting term, Mm -hmm. and that's got numbers and it's got to be hard it's got to be confusing so just the notion of roi frightens people In one of our books that we wrote it was very successful not as successful as it should have been but the title of the book is show me the money and whilst executives love the book a lot of people who are trying to show the money for what they do didn't like it so well because it's frightening so we're trying to remove the anxiety or maybe the reluctance to go down this path. We don't have ROI in the title. And we mention ROI, it's in there, but we approach it from a very subtle way and then finally give you some more details. So we know if we get people started down this path so that they begin to think success is really these levels, reaction, learning, application, impact, ROI. And it's not that difficult to get there. If we get them into that, they'll go down the path. But we wanted to open it up to many people, thousands of people who are not in the process now. We know we got lots of users. We've got probably 10,000 people actually using this across the globe. Uh, but we need more. That's only a small percentage of people need this. So we wanted a less threatening book. But yet one that's engaging, it's got lots of stories, over 20 stories of individuals who've done this and made a difference and it made a difference in their lives and their careers. So Patty, you want to add to that?
2: Well, and it's just really to inspire the ROI thinking. As Jack said, a lot of people are afraid of ROI and they think it doesn't apply to them. But if we think about any type of business or any one person, you know, there's whoever you serve, your stakeholders are, you have resources and limitations on those resources. So how can you best allocate your time, money and effort to the projects that matter most. And so this is one way to help them discern where to invest those resources.
0: Beautiful, I love the idea of having lots of stories too. It's the universal language, isn't it? And however many arguments and numbers and statistics you have in the end, what we all relate to is the story. So that's wonderful. You say that in the book, experienced professionals will find the book to be helpful to boost a blocked career. Although they may have a wealth of experience, some professionals may be stuck in a job assignment and not changing, advancing, or learning. So the book looks, amongst other things, to help those experienced professionals to broaden their horizons as they demonstrate the value of what they do. Can you elaborate a bit further on this idea? So
2: it allows those people who feel that they are stuck in their career an opportunity to create and demonstrate value of their work in a different way so much of the time we look at the activities of what we do as our deliverable as our contribution when in fact it's just the activity of what you're doing but how have you in your career contributed to new knowledge insight information or how have you influenced Um, behavior change, new processes, new systems. How has the work that you've done contributed to improvement in output quality cost time, customer satisfaction, job satisfaction, work habits, innovation. So it gives those people who feel like they're stuck in a career a new lens through which they can look through um, when defining their success and their contribution. I mean, because as you mentioned, it is about the story and it's about the story we tell about ourselves. And, you know, it's all in some sense is all marketing. How do you sell yourself, or how do you learn something about the work you do that maybe you didn't know because you didn't really look at it through a different lens? Um, and we're also busy too, right? We just get caught up in the day to day and the busyness of our work. So it just gives people a framework to look through. So Jack,
1: I mentioned one of the stories in the book. It's a person named Jessica Kriegel. She's uh, was a an OD consultant for Oracle Corporation. And she, her passion was clearly understanding millennials. And she was a millennial. She says they're unfairly labeled, and she felt that she was good at what she does, but the company didn't seem to recognize that. And so, she was uh, involved in the onboarding project for some millennials. And the request came from managers: "says Train these millennials to think the way they should be thinking because they don't think the way we do." They're really weird. Make them like us. And so she, she says, okay, now's my chance. And so she says, she dug a little deeper here to say, is it really the millennials of the problem or the managers of the problem or both? And the conclusion was it's both. So there's all misunderstandings on both sides. And so she changed the request to really a program for both groups. And she tracked the success of this, and it just cut down the turnover of those early millennials that came into the company they had pretty high turnover in this particular program on, on the, during the onboarding. And so she turned that around and she did the ROI study on this, showing how they reacted to this program. What did they learn? What did they do? And the impact in the financial ROI that got attention. In fact, she published that at a book that she wrote a little later called unfairly labeled. And it's about how millennials are, are misunderstood in so many parts of society these days and that took her to speaking engagements of everywhere the pr department at oracle says oh my god this is one of our best pr activities put jessica on the road so she started doing keynote speeches around on her book unfairly labeled and so her career just took off from there and she's now a chief scientist for a culture of organization right now and so we actually are working with her although she did her study 10 years ago it it was a classic case of her career and her mind was kind of blocked but that spark was an ROI study of something she's done as Patty says taking it beyond the activities of what I'm doing but the impact in in this case even the ROI.
0: So tell us a bit more about how there is this continuing confusion between doing stuff, activities, and things, investments in activities or or actions or thinking or whatever it might be that delivers impact. In the end, what we all feel and experience is the impact. And it doesn't matter how busy the person behind the scenes might be doing stuff, what is experienced is impact. But there seems to be a lot of struggle between the idea of success is about doing lots of stuff as opposed to success is creating impact. Why is this confusion still so pervasive? And how do you help people to make the mental shift from activity to impact? I think
2: the activity is easy, right? We know what we're doing. And so it's easy. We can check a list. And so the task list gives us that opportunity to just check the box. I mean, have you ever had a task list and you didn't really do what was on the task list? You did something else. So you wrote that on the task list and checked it off, right? Because it makes us feel good about what we do. So I think task list and activity is easy. And what we're trying to do is influence the thought process there to stop looking at at the activity looking at success in activity, but really look at it in terms of the results or the consequence of the activity. And to do that and do it efficiently, we have to think about those consequences up front. So it gets down to intentionality. We begin with end in mind. What are we really trying to do here? Whether it's a big project, maybe you're the head of talent management or talent development, and you're about to invest in a major leadership development program for your team. The question is why? You know, why are we doing it? What opportunity is there for the organization to make money, save money, avoid costs, do greater good? Well, bring that down to the individual level. The same can be true. What is my opportunity here to make money, save money, avoid cost, or do greater good? Now, what do I need to change to do that? What do I need to know to make that change? And how can I get it done efficiently, effectively, given what I need to know, what I need to do to achieve it? So it gets, Bottom line, it goes down to, you know, why aren't we doing this work? Why aren't we doing what we're doing? So it is, it is a hard shift. And when we talk a lot about intentionality, that's a big conversation out there today. But that's exactly what we're trying to do is begin with the end of mind. Why are you doing it in the first place? And then if it's not going to add value to you, your stakeholders, whomever, rethink about what it is and let's move it off the table and go accomplish what we need to accomplish.
1: We sometimes have a a notion that this activity is the end game, because if you think about the concept of a to-do list, one of our favorite books, I think, is a checklist manifesto, which is written by a medical doctor. And he talks about the importance of checklists. But a checklist is really activities. What am I doing? Yes, they all admit they're doing it for a purpose, but we sometimes don't have that purpose in mind or don't see that purpose in front of us. So we get lulled into thinking we're done when we've done our to-do list, but not really. If you don't get to the impact, you're not there. So your last part of that question is how do we keep reminding people? We remind them if you don't have impact and if you just focus on activities, then you're just being busy. So think about a learning program. If people use what they've learned but there's no consequence of that, you wasted your time, everybody's wasting their time. No one wants to be just busy. It's all with a goal in mind, and that's the impact.
0: Very nice. Beautifully succinct. Let's shift the focus from individuals to organizations. Your book is obviously valuable for organizations too, especially senior leaders, as well as the HR and talent professionals as they help teams and individuals achieve success and advance in an organization. As you've just suggested, it could be the example of buying into a a leadership program. But let's think about what you see based on your long experience working with all kinds of organizations. Can you share any example of companies, whether you can name them or not, that have implemented the approach of value and ROI particularly well?
1: We've got 6,000 organizations we know have implemented this. So if you look at the pharmaceuticals, we just talked about Novartis, we have probably have worked with all the major pharmaceuticals and some have done that much better than others and some in certain parts than others. In the banking sectors, you know, we work with all the banking groups. Some seem to do it better than others. And telecoms, all the telecoms. And the one that Patty's thinking about is we've seen the best work there is Verizon in the USA, for example. Even if in a narrow market like the package delivery companies, FedEx, UPS, and DHL, we work with all three of them. But we've seen our best work at UPS for them. They did a marvelous job of implementing the retail store chains, you know, it's just, it goes on and on. We've been fortunate enough to get through all kinds of businesses. But I have to say our work shifted from all business when we started 30 years ago to most of our work is now in the non-business area, the governments and NGOs and, and nonprofits. And I'd say probably the best implementation we've had in that sector is probably the United Nations. The UN adopted our methodology in 2008 with the UN General Assembly Resolution. We've now put the system in 17 of the UN agencies, some marvelous examples from the the World Food Program and uh, the International Monetary Fund, the World Health Organization. So it's governments are a big part of what we do. We work 26 governments around the world. And one that's very active right now in trying to bring this to the government sectors ironically, is Saudi Arabia. I know the crown prince there gets a lot of bad PR for good reasons. I mean, for the right reasons, I guess. But he's committed to making sure the government adds value. And so they're implementing this throughout the government agencies. But we see that kind of effort across at least 26 central governments now. So I'll stop there. It's hard to say there's one best... There's so many good ones. We give awards each year to recognize those. And we give 10 or 12 awards. And part of that's the best implementation. And uh, we select the best practitioners and so forth.
2: As Jack said, it's hard to pinpoint one, but there is one that did such an amazing job and implementing, and it came down to leadership, and we begin when a company begins working with this process. It's all about education first, so understanding and awareness, and the senior leadership got involved in this process, and they got involved from the beginning. It wasn't just let me send someone to learn this process, come back, and maybe support them in doing it, and we do see that happen, but they were on a journey. They had a real intent for changing the mindset, changing the way they approach their investments, their approach their programming and they started with this methodology. So it began with leadership and they pulled it through and have just done an amazing job with this and more importantly, not just doing an amazing job with this process but doing an amazing job in their organization to create change through the investments they're making
0: in their people. Fantastic. Now, let's move on and beyond this book and think about what you're continuing to research and publish all across the world and different topics. You recently published a piece on managing talent retention, a key topic currently, of course, in light of the big resignation, and another rather intriguing one on the ROI of hybrid work. Can you share a little bit about your findings?
1: We wrote a book called Managing Talent Retention. And that's the title of the book. And we said, when we've got a turnover issue, we have talent leaving. The first problem we see is that we don't clearly understand why. We think we know why they're leaving, but we don't have a good way in many organizations of getting to the real reason. Yep. So, we offer some tools that will help you get to the real objective reason why they're leaving. Then you can address the real reason they are leaving, and we suggest you can forecast the ROI of that solution to keep them from leaving, and then follow right on through and measure the ROI at the end. So, it's it's a a process that starts with measuring it properly, all over as you look at the cost of turnover. So you understand that clearly, the cause of turnover, then getting the solutions, forecasting the solutions, implementing those and showing the results. So that's like a cycle that we go through. So that piece is about, we need that now. We've got the great reservation going on and many times we really don't know why they're leaving. We think it's because of the flexibility of work or we think it's pay, or we think that that's the, they don't like the type of leadership. It may be, but there's a good chance. We're always surprised to find things that are causing that that we don't know about. What we think the cause is not the biggest one. And Then the second piece I've mentioned in hybrid work, we see the same thing there. We don't have good data to make a decision what's the best arrangement for us. How is it working now? We basically take polls from employees, say, well, where would you like to, you, like, you want to come back to work, you don't want to come back to work, what do you want to do, can you work one day, and not really understanding how well it's working or not working. If remote work is actually working, the best person to tell you that is the manager of that person. We rarely go to that individual and say, tell me how is it working. They know. So it's lack of data we're making big decisions here. So that the gist of that piece was, let's understand clearly how it's working or not working, and then try to find an arrangement that works with both groups and implement that, and look at the ROI doing it. And one piece of the ROI that's often left out is you're helping the environment by having people stay home. That doesn't get into the conversation so much, although executives support the concept of being green and supporting the environment, that doesn't get into these conversations about letting people work at home. Patty, you wanna add to that?
2: Well, in addition to the research that you mentioned here, we partner with research organizations to conduct other research. So the Conference Board Institute for Corporate Productivity are two of our primary research partners and some research that we're doing with them around ROI and inclusion. We did a project with the Conference Board to see um, how organizations are defining success and benefit and impact of investments in inclusivity. We are working currently on another project, what CEOs think about human capital analytics. You know, we talk about measurement evaluation here in the podcast. You know, everyone talks analytics. Well, what what is it really that's going on with that? What is that CEO perspective and that C-suite? perspective. And um, we're looking at the new d leader and how talent development can support that d leader because we see a shift in there. So we get involved in a lot of research. It all ultimately revolves around demonstrating the impact and the ROI of these different types of investments, but we come at it different directions.
0: Fantastic. That's really interesting. And no doubt we could talk about endless publications all day long, but let's let's get a bit fanciful now, and imagine if you had a magic wand and you could change just one thing about the world of work, what would it be?
2: People would be free to do the work that they need to do in the environment where they can do it best and have the tools and the resources granted they cannot be unlimited, so I don't be that fanciful. But have the tools and the resources they need to do the job that they need to do to accomplish what they need to accomplish in the way that works best for them. That would be the one thing that I would wish for all people for the world of work.
0: Jack, do you want to go to?
1: If we can try to take a little bit of time to think about things, think through things. We're so focused on getting things done so quick, not listening very much, A do, 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 quick, 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 but not reflecting for a moment at least we're just losing our attention as a as a society i think and we learning is a big part of that in learning programs you know we want a micro learning of two minutes here two minutes there and try to put that together and it just doesn't work we really need deep learning sometimes if it's an important skill if it's a skill we need but we're reluctant to take the time for that uh so if we could teach people to say look Invest in yourself, invest in your work, spend some time, get away from some distractions, and take some quality and don't worry about, you know, I've got to do this in three minutes. You need to do it until you know how to do it.
0: Very nice. Well, I guess you've both had a certain amount of time since you were 18 to reflect on things. So if you were able to go back and speak to your 18 year old self, what sort of advice you want would you want to be giving him and her?
2: This was a good question. I appreciate this question, but it was one that we really had to put some thought around. You know, I think the biggest piece of advice I would give my 18-year-old self is be you. You know, do you pursue what you want to pursue, what you need to pursue, do it your way. I think that would be it. On the other hand, I wouldn't be where I am today without the 18-year-old self. The journey I took is the one that got me here. So I have nothing to regret. I mean, there's always things you'd like to change. But of all the things, um, I think just, you know, be yourself. Young people today do that. They are themselves. They do it their way. And I think more of that.
0: Yes. More be the one piece of advice. We definitely have a lot to learn in that respect from this young generation. Yes. It's an amazing group.
1: I was blessed by having some parents that distilled a very high work ethic in me. And so basically, it had a mindset of doing the best at what you do, regardless of what you're doing. And that's part that I wouldn't change. I studied engineering because my cousin studied engineering. I really, when it was done, I had really no interest in being an engineer after getting an engineering degree. But that I didn't waste it. I flipped out of engineering into a training environment where I could really have more influence on people than my minor part i was doing in engineering so yet i use that good engineering background in so many ways it even fact affects and has influenced what we're doing today so it's really career long-term career planning at 18 is very difficult oh yeah what you can do is make the best of whatever you've got and translate whatever you're doing into something that's going to continue to move you forward and I, fortunately, I had that mindset going into whatever I was studying, whatever I was doing, I was going to do the best I could do. I got a physics degree along the way, and I managed to graduate with a 4.0 in the university in physics degree. And I thought for a fleeting moment, I want to be a physicist. But then <laughs> that, that that went away. <laughs> but but the point by having doing the best at what you could do opened so many doors for you. And avenues for you to use what you've done in other ways. And so I wouldn't change the path because we love the path that we've been on. There's no way we could have predicted that path at 18. Nope. But I'm glad I had the mindset to stick with whatever I was doing and to, to see it through.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. So we've looked backwards. Now let's look forwards. Share with us the things you're most excited about coming up over the next little while.
2: I think one thing I'm really excited about, of course, the work that Jack mentioned earlier, work with the NGOs, United Nations. We're doing some amazing work there. And then we've got a really amazing project we're working with in the nonprofit sector an organization called Hope Ministries in the state of Louisiana. They're really trying to tackle this issue of poverty in the state. So we're working with them. And then also, Jack, you may want to speak to uh, Poverty Stoplight you know, some really exciting work in the space of eliminating poverty and how to help these individuals and these organizations who are investing their time and effort and resources in that problem, helping them think through outcomes and demonstrate the outcomes and improve along the way.
1: Yeah, I'd say I work in nonprofits. This takes a priority for us. We sometimes donate our time. Many times, I should say, we donate our time. But they also, they have funding that, um, They can support our need to have payrolls for our team. (laughs) So my point, we love the work that they do. and We've got a major project, global project called Poverty Stoplight that we serve as evaluators for that program. It's probably the most successful poverty elimination program. It's based on a book, Who Owns Poverty? Uh, So so just working with these nonprofits on all the, the range of things, and then healthcare. Healthcare is probably 30% of our business. So it's so many interesting projects. We like to move to new areas, new cultures, new challenges. The difficult, hard to value, hard to measure things is what Patty and I like to get involved in.
2: One big initiative we're working on is called Renew America Together. And it's how do we get all these conversations, these disparate groups coming together to find common ground to do what needs to be done in the country? And that is a big project that we're really excited about. We're in the second cohort of this very interesting leadership program here in the U.S. So, you know, the nonprofit work is really energizing for us. It's a stretch, it's a challenge for us, but then too, we do believe we're moving the needle on some
0: things that truly matter in the community. Well, thank you. That's not only a beautiful share, but very inspiring. And it sounds as though You're taking full advantage of your ability to choose which directions you go in. And that's absolutely wonderful. So, Jack and Patty, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us today. I know we could go on for much longer, but we won't because we've come to the end of our time. And I just want to say on behalf of the audience as a whole that it's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you. We hope you enjoyed hearing from this month's guest as much as we did.
0: Do go and check out our work on disrupt-your-career.com and come back soon. Thank you.